if that's, if that's the way we're doing it, we're living our faith and walking it out, and we're not prying into the word and truth of God, we're, we're very easily misled by popular, strong, or maybe even emotionally kind of um, affecting or e- emotionally just full opinions because we're not standing on the word of God and letting that fully ground our decisions and our thinking. Because if we're going to see what does the world think, what's easy to hear, what, what, what makes people comfortable, you're not going to be following God. You can't follow God and follow the world's opinion. Because I'd be worried about your soul. Why you still be doubting you got a soul? Like you need to see to believe these things. But you believe things that you've never seen. Like feelings and hopes and dreams. The future emotions and gravity. And sadly, everything you're rejecting makes this whole life a tragedy. And I got something to say. I got something to say. I got something to say to the world. Welcome to the Milk and Mead Podcast. I'm Andrew Krimkovich, and I'll be doing a solo study this time. I don't have my co-host Aldo with me. Um, I wanted to go through a section of scripture, Psalm 25, and as I was reading through it today, it just it connected a reminding, uh, um, a stirring section of scripture from Second Peter. And I thought I'd find a way to connect it, to encourage, to motivate, to inspire, and maybe to kind of explain what what we can get out of these few sections of scripture when we connect them and how it can affect and uh, how it can edify and how it can uh, guide and enliven, quicken our faith from wherever we're at right now in our walk, whether we're struggling, whether we're uncertain, if complacent, maybe even just tempted on all sides, Wherever we're at currently in our walk, however we're feeling, however we're experiencing, however we're thinking about it, considering, however we're meditating on the word, what it's doing to us when we meditate, that that could all be, to some extent, addressed just with these two psalms. And yet there's, there's another section of scripture I'd love to touch on as well. But Psalm 25, as I was studying in, I was looking through it and reading through it, um, I realized that the way that King David, the way he prays and meditates through this psalm is similar, I think, to, to what we could be doing often in our own prayers. We, we bring our concerns. We have something that's on our mind. We have something that's going on situationally at that moment in our life. And as we're working through that, because we're not just tossing all of our fears, worries, and anxieties on God and just walking away after that. But we're actually, we're, we're growing through our prayer because prayer is less of, God, give me this, this is what I need. It's more of submitting your desires and your perspectives to who God is and acknowledging who He is in the midst of that and then regularly coming back to your supplications and then working through your gratitude and, and your uh, adoration of his character, of his greatness, of his sovereignty. All of that should be an ongoing experience in prayer. If prayer is not just give me, give me, give me, which it isn't. In scripture, we don't we don't see that as a regular way to pray. We see supplication mixed with praise, mixed with reminder, sometimes mixed with gloom and and doom kind of mentalities that David goes through. He goes through ups and downs all over in his in his Psalms. But, but we see that as an ongoing relationship with God, that prayer is supposed to change us and it's supposed to affect the way we see God and the way we see what he's doing in our circumstance and in our life and the way we would want to view things as if they haven't fallen out of God's hands, even if they've fallen out of our hands. So prayer should be a teaching for us. It should be something that molds us to submit and conform to the will of God no matter what that will might be, even if it's against our preferences, even if it's against our inclinations, our desires. So when, when, I'm, when I'm reading through the Psalms, it, it gives me a lot to pray about. The Psalms feed my prayer life. They really do. And I, I think that everybody can benefit from learning how to pray the Psalms back to God and add your own circumstantial details, of course. But something about being able to pray the Psalms back to God I think is really beneficial. I think that's why God put them right there in the middle for us in, in the Bible. So if you're ever going through uh, difficulty in prayer or in just meditation, just how, how to what to think deeply about, 
uh, just, just crack open the center of your Bible. Usually, if you just go right for the middle, you'll either hit Psalms or Proverbs, and both of them are beneficial in their unique and respective ways. So Psalm 25, let's go to it. Um, we're going we're gonna to pull this up because I, I want us to kind of go through this together. And let me first point out, the fact that David goes from meditation to prayer it's an interesting mix, and you can see that. So verses 1 to 7, you'll see that's all prayer. Uh, verses 8 to 10, that's meditation. Verses 11 again, that's another prayer. Uh, and it's all intermingled, but it's like David just pleads and then acknowledges God in his meditation over God's grandeur, over his wonder-working power, over his presence in his life, over his continued protective nature over David's life. David just prays out his desires of protection, of renewal, of strength, of, of perseverance, and then acknowledges God's greatness and his goodness and his awesomeness. And then he goes back to his needs, and then he goes back to who God is. So it, it's, it's a wonderful shuffling back and forth. And we can see that's happening. It's like erupting in David's heart. Uh, so verse 11, that's another uh, section of prayer. And then 12 to 15, that's more meditation, that he's acknowledging God for who he is. And then verses 16, 22, that, that closes again with prayer. And the, the few um, verses that I wanted to acknowledge as I connected with Second Peter is verses 4 and 5. So we're not going to go through the whole psalm, but we're going to go through verses 4 and 5. And over here we have, well, you know what? We could just read real quick uh, through the first few verses. Verse 1 says, uh, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O oh my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Make me know your ways, O oh Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I will wait all the day. And that's that's what that's the main gist. That's where I was just humbled and and brought to that place of I I want this. I want to make sure that I'm walking in such a way and I'm learning from God. And when I when I read through Psalm 119, that just energizes my desire to study and just exposit and learn the word of God, to learn who God is in every way that I can, to benefit from commentaries, from uh, study notes in the study Bible, to benefit from uh, the, uh, theological works like doctrinal, systematics, just being able to go through them and study through them. I'm, I'm, I'm learning to develop a hunger for God and his word. And I see that it's not all on me, like I better not mess up. God will God will lure me back in. But if I'm if I'm getting complacent, I realize through experience and I know that God deals with his people this way, that he'll allow us to 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 stumble. He'll allow us to get caught in a mess or to realize that we are grieving the Holy Spirit. He'll work in our hearts in such a way, whether it's something embarrassing, whether it's something just mind-blowing, unexpected, like, whoa, I didn't realize I was neglecting that. He'll bring that up. He'll work in it. But but we're never we're never in scripture encouraged to sit there like with our hands to ourselves just waiting for God to do that. Like if anybody sits back and says, I don't know if I'm being disobedient to God. I don't know if I'm walking this thing out faithfully. I don't know if I'm seeking to honor God. I don't know if I'm seeking him first, him and his righteousness, his kingdom and his righteousness. I don't know if that's first in my life. So, you know, I'm going to just keep doing what I do. And if God wants to get my attention, he can. That's a very, that's a very self-seeking mentality. That's, that's a lazy complacency, but that's also like, that's like, it's like we're coming at God sideways when we do that. Like we're actually like daring him. Like, God, you know, I think I'm all right, but I dare you to show me I'm not. Like, it, it doesn't seem genuine. It doesn't seem submissive. It seems more like uh, just as if this walk with Christ is supposed to be a passive thing. Like, God's going to do what he does, and you just kind of keep living. Don't worry. Uh, everything's fine. No need to investigate. No need to check yourself. It's like, but we don't see that in Scripture. In Scripture, we see check yourself, uh, search 
uh, evaluate, examine yourself, see if you're even in the faith by, by the evidences that you should be seeing. Like, are you seeing these things? So there is this n need for searching your heart and asking God to do it so that there's no bias and hypocrisy there. That's why Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24. Let's, let's pull that up real quick. Uh, this is probably one of the best, um, best Psalms, I think, in the world. Um, it's wonderful, and it, 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 it just points to how God is fully involved in everything, how God has just ordained to create us, even the days of our lives from beginning to end. They've already been counted. They're already accounted for, even before we live out a single one of them. David is just, just, just reaching and boasting about the sovereignty of God in this awesome way. David is just expounding on the intricate knowledge and depths of God's understanding and his greatness in such a way. David's like, I don't even, I can't even understand this. Like, it's too wonderful for me. Like, that knowledge of God, of how you did this, it's too wonderful for me. And at the end of all of this, David says, he says in uh, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me or test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me not, uh, lead me in the way everlasting. Um, see if there's any wicked way in me. See if there's any evil way in me. Uh, it's, it's translated in different ways. But it's like, see if there's anything wrong in me and lead me in, in the way that's everlasting. And if you really connect that, we could, we could also connect that with uh, Matthew 6 prayer because, um, let me get it. Okay. Um, Jesus is teaching about prayer and he's showing us that there's, there's a... There's not a specific order that's taught and commanded, but there is this reverential perspective where we really should see what's most important when we have, let's say, not an urgent prayer, for example. Like if, if someone is dying, you don't have to walk through. There isn't this like biblical command where you have to walk through honoring the glory and holiness of God and then going into uh, his kingdom come, his will be done. And, and then at the end, you can ask for that person to be spared. Like they're having a heart attack and you have to go through these. It, it, it isn't this legalistic kind of religious thing that you just have to do the specific order for to like wake God up or to get his attention. No, but, but when there is this communal prayer, that's why it's our father. This is a prayer teaching how to pray usually in community, how to pray in the congregation, our father, let us glorify the king and, and, and go through your own details as you can faithfully, biblically, scripturally, make it accurate. Let, let, let there be a biblical accuracy to how we talk about God, how we praise him, what we lift up about his nature, his glory, his attributes. But then in all of this, it says, our father who's in heaven, hallowed, respected, let it be made or seen or lived out in our lives as holy. Let it be realized as to be the holiness that it is. Let your name be hallowed your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts and as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil so what i wanted to get at was that um it, it's as if david is praying in in psalm 139 verses 20 uh 23 and 24 that He's wanting to be led in the everlasting way and see if there be any harmful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Lead me in the right way, which would be repentance, confession, and obedience. Like all those things would come together in that. So there's this, there's this desire to be searched. There's this desire for God to do the searching and he's not going to have a, a wrong view. He's not going to have an... A, a, a too extreme in this manner or a too, too extreme in that manner searching of our hearts. He's going to bring up what he's going to bring up. He'll bring it up through scripture. He'll bring it up to, uh, to us through circumstances. He'll bring it up maybe through the sermon, through the preacher. 
He'll bring it up through when we pray and we consider God's word. When, when we're reading and studying, he'll bring up and show us our sin. He'll show it to us in a way that would lead us to repent and confess and be broken before him so that he can bind us up and heal us and make us stronger and grow us more faithful than we were if we are children of God. So this is this is a, a healthy, a very important and healthy perspective um, that we should have, that prayer should be this coming to God in reverential worship, humility, and dependence, all with a surrendered mentality, like thy will be done. Like even if my will needs to be undone, let your will be done. Because no matter what I want right now, if it's not according to your will, either to bring it into my life to show me that I was desiring the wrong thing, so I have a covetous heart and you're going to rebuke me for that, even though it seems like an answer of yes to my prayer, like the Israel had with the quail. Israel was complaining, just basically gnashing their teeth at God, saying, you know, we, we would rather be slaves in Egypt because we had good meat. Here we are with this manna. And they were, they were basically cursing at God for, for him not giving them this luxury meal in the desert. So he, he answered their prayer. They said, quail, we want quail, we want this, we want meat. He gave them so much meat, but while it was between their teeth, it's like while they were about to chew on it or while they just started chewing on it, God just brought this plague. So it's like he gave it to them to also use it as judgment against them to show them they were wrong for speaking about or at God in that way, for being ungrateful, unthankful, for having the wrong mentality. They were wrong. They were in sin. But he gave them over into their sin. Romans 1 talks about that too. God gave them over. God gave them over. Three times it says that God gave them over into all of these desires, these, these affections, these, these, men, these views, these perspectives. God gave them over. And they ended up worse than they would have. It's as if God is always restraining how far we can go in sin. But if we beg for our sin and we, we stomp our feet enough, God can and at times does just let go of his restraints. And some people will say, how is it that person did such a horrible thing? It's like, well, he probably would have done a lot worse. And so would have you and so would have I if God did not restrain us with guilt, with shame, with, with, um, with the law around us. I mean, sometimes people don't do something evil because the law is around. There's a cop. There's authority. They don't want to embarrass themselves. They don't want their wife to think they're this. They don't, like, sometimes those things keep us in check. But if it wasn't for them, if the restraints were fully taken away, some people would commit the worst of crimes. I know that in my anger, I could commit some horrible crimes. I know what my anger is. I know how violent I could be unless Christ comes and, and restrains me. I've seen my violence. Before Christ, I was a violent, just enraged individual. But after he came in and he began working in my heart and sanctifying me and brought me through to this place of regeneration, I, I can't act on any angry impulses, not the same way. And, and I can get angry and then it's like I'm subdued by the knowledge and the spirit of God. And I fear to, to act out on it. So it brings me to just maybe complain to myself and then to come and repent and confess. It just, it's this wonderful relationship where God is truly working and showing me his hand over my life, protecting me. But if he wants, he could take it off and let me just act out or, or say something that I shouldn't say. And then to come back and realize I, I was all full of myself, God. And, and you let me see how evil my heart is. And, and there will be all sorts of brokenness and repentance and, and, and growing and all that would take place. So God is, God is holding people back from living out the fullness of their evil hearts. And sometimes we'll lie to ourselves. We'll say, no, I'm fine. Look at me. Look how good I'm doing. It's like God, God's holding you back from the sinner you could be. Um, but one day, those floodgates, he's going to just let them go. And the world will be seen for how sinful it is. Um, so... So I wanted to connect that because, you know what, I think, I think this is where I wanted to hit Proverbs 2 real quick. Proverbs 2 also, uh, okay, so let me get to what I was getting. Psalm 25, Psalm 25, 4 to 5 says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. This desire to be taught, 
this desire to be led by God, this desire to be confronted by God in such a way that he would correct any wrong diversions or any, just any wanderings, that he would just check you and, and keep you in line. This desire is one that needs to be biblically grounded. Because if we start saying something like, Father God, please protect me from making unwise decisions or, or from choosing things that might seem right to me, but they're sin to you or they're offensive to you or maybe just not right for me, even if that guy has it. Let me not be a coveter in that way as if I should have what everyone around me has. Let me know the limits you've set on my life because it could be different. And if we're not learning what God's limits really are through scripture and we're not applying ourselves to study and meditate on the word of God and getting just sermons in our hearts, like just listening to people expound and exposit the word of God, if we're not doing our own investigation, our own research into who God is and what he says, the unambiguous word of God, the declared word of God, if, if we don't do that, how will we know if what we're thinking is actually biblical or not, or if what we're thinking or assuming is actually right? Because if we have the ability to have a Bible, uh, first world countries, I think, if I'm not mistaken, just about every first world country that isn't a communist country um, can have a Bible. Uh, there's some there's some countries that right now are called hostile nations. They won't let you get a Bible. Uh, you you have to hide your Christianity. And I'm talking about you have to hide it in such a way that if someone finds out you follow Jesus, they're going to behead you. Or they're going to tell you renounce Christ or you die. You and your family. And people die. Martyrs are real. They're right now. Every single, like right now, today, 2022, we have Christian martyrs. And this has been going on for 2,000 years. But it's happening in other countries. So when we're in, like where we're at in America, we don't expect martyrdom. We expect persecution to be you lose friends, uh, you get made fun of, get yelled at, spit on. Um, you could be taken to court for not, um, for not supporting certain things, certain sinful livings. Uh, or if you stand up and speak about your faith and you speak about the biblical truths, you, you might be called a bigot or a hypocrite or a hater or a non-lover, whatever. But... You don't really, you don't really expect that for preaching Christ in the United States, someone's actually going to come to your doorstep and say, I will kill you and your family if you do not deny Christ right now. But in Muslim countries, that is, that is, that is what happens. Um, people are actually persecuted unto death for their faith in Christ. And what I'm, what I'm getting at is that if you're in a position where you actually can have a Bible and, and you're capable, and you choose not to read it, you choose not to study God's word, and you just want to live off of the Christian songs that you hear uh, on the radio, which aren't usually theologically sound. There are some, but there's a lot of popular music that has so much that's biblically inaccurate. It would, it would, it would be like a, like a self-seeking Christianity. A lot of Christian music is more about how I feel, how happy I am that God has saved me. It is not so much about the glory and wonder of who God is, about the need to repent and be a confessing Christian, the need to evangelize even against all opposition. There, there really isn't this edifying aspect to a lot of the Christian songs out there that are popular. And when you think about what's popular, usually what's popular is the stuff that makes you feel good about you. That's just what we're going to get in this world. But that's why you won't really see hymns and songs like that on Christian radio. Not usually. Um, there might be some, some uh, radio stations where they do play hymns, and that's, that's great. That'd be great if they're solid hymns. But usually what you'll see is that Christian music is kind of like kind of puff yourself up, make yourself feel good about you, uh, and thank God for it. And if that's, if that's all we've got in our Christianity, we're not picking up a Bible, even though we have in our country, in our lifestyle, in our world, we're able to, but we don't. And we sometimes go to church, but not really. And we kind of just live off sometimes having some Christian music, but you're also living off the world. If that's, if that's the way we're doing it, we're living our faith and walking it out. And we're not prying into the word and truth of God. We're, we're very easily misled by popular, strong, or maybe even emotionally kind of um, affecting or e emotionally just full opinions because we're not 
standing on the word of God and letting that fully ground our decisions and our thinking. Because if we're going to see what does the world think, what's easy to hear, what, what, what makes people comfortable, you're not going to be following God. You can't follow God and follow the world's opinion because the world's opinion is that we shouldn't be judging people. And Christians aren't coming out as judges, but they're coming out as witnesses of the judge. So they give his judgments and they're called judgmental for saying, this is what God says. This is sin. And people say, you, how dare you judge me? It's like, oh. I'm not the judge. I'm coming here pleading as someone that also needs a Savior and has him by God's grace, if I am a Christian. And, and I want you to know that the Savior is Christ from all sin. And here's what sin is. And then we display sin just the way a Bible does, unashamedly, maybe with detail, with some testimony, but we display the sinfulness of mankind and we point to the wonder of, God's and, of God and his holiness and how holiness and sin just can't mix. So God will judge because that's what good judges do. They punish punish evil and we're all evil so we need a savior and there's only one it's not our good deeds we can't you know turn over a new leaf it's never enough because our track record stands and our constant inclinations are always sinful they're always against god's will and glory so we need a new heart and that comes by god's grace it doesn't come by our deeds like all of this is part of the gospel and it should and could come up in regular conversation um but but if we're if we're not taking in the word of god contextually regularly, it, it will affect the way we think. Because when you walk through a store, there's already background music. And, and I sometimes try to listen in to hear how bad is this? And sometimes it's not terrible, but a lot of times it is. Like you walk through DDs in, in Arizona, man, they got, they got some dirty music. I mean, but it's just radio music. It's what you'll get in the world. They're talking about body parts. They're talking about body parts hanging out of the clothing. It's like, man, I know what this is. Like, this is catchy. It sounds catchy, but I know how gross it is. I know how it can get into your mind a very wrong view of everything. So when that's happening in the background, you go into Starbucks, you got room, you got music in the background, you, you, you're in the car, you listen to whatever you listen to, you don't really read, and then you pray, you know, God, lead me in the right way. How are you going to know? Because God is not required to do all the work for you. He does this work in you, but he doesn't have to do it for you. Watch. Um, where is it? Is it Philippians? Philippians 2. Philippians 2.13. Work out your salvation. Uh, 2.12. Philippians 2.12. Um, okay, here we go. This is Philippians 2.12. I am going to read the American Standard Version. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, in my not as in my presence only, but now much more in my, abstent, uh, in my absence. So Paul is saying, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be someone that does it when I'm around, and then when I leave, you change the way you walk. Continue to do this. Uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then verse 13 goes to explain how that's done. Um, for it is God who is at work in you, both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. So we are commanded to do something and we are, we are shown who's really doing this in us. And Christians are given the commands, but now they're able to follow them because they have a new heart that actually desires to follow the commands of God. And they're still fighting their own sinful tendencies because they still exist, but they're actually enabled to have this new, real desire to see God at work in them and God working in their heart, sanctifying them, leading them in a godly way, leading them in, in the Christian graces so that they would mature and give glory to God. This is a desire. And all of this is our responsibility. And yet God is the one making it possible, making it probable. God is the one that is actually securing that and working it out. But he's leading us because he's not just, we're not just dead. And God is just putting us on like a glove and just doing it all. We're alive. And God is just supernaturally in the way that it does he just influences our hearts gives us a new heart and gives us a desire and, and and commands us and leads us and prompts us and hems us in from the left from the right before behind us he's always protecting and guiding but we're living we're alive we have we have a will now we have a a a holy spirit led will by the holy spirit of god we have that but we also have our own tendencies we have our own sin-stained hearts that are still in the flesh 
And until glory, we're going to have this problem. It's going to be our own old nature. It's always going to be there battling. But we're commanded to walk this thing out. We're commanded to live out our our faith obediently. So if we're not studying and we're not seeking God, He can let us walk into sin, get all muddy. So we realize we're not doing anything. We're just asking God to do it all for us, and we're not walking it out. So it's incredibly important for us to realize that God is not giving us these commands saying, hey, you're good, uh, just, just pray a lot, and I'll do it all for you. That's not what it means to be a Christian. That's not what it means to have a right reverential relationship with God. That's what it means to try to use God like a genie in the bottle. You just say one magic thing, and then you walk away, and then it's all done for you. But that's not the Christian life. So when we go, when we go into Proverbs chapter 2, we'll see that. I, I want to read it real quick, and we'll touch on it. But this is, this is like God speaking to the reader, uh, to anyone that, that is seeking God and desiring God. This is, this is how he wants us to view it. So it, it says, If my son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, Make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice. And he preserves the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. This is what God is calling us to, to walk in his ways so that we would know how not to walk in the perverse person's ways. Uh, just like Psalm 1, where is it? Uh, Psalm 1. How, how, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. And then he goes on to explain how the wicked are not that way. They won't stand in the judgment like the chaff. The wind's going to blow them away. But it's, it's pointing to the fact that there is such thing as wickedness and good. And there's only two. There's only two kinds of people, really. There's the godly, the ones that follow God, and there's the wicked, the ones that don't. And it doesn't matter how nice a wicked person looks if he doesn't believe and follow the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, saved by the grace of God through faith. Then he is wicked because God is saying he's doing what he thinks is right. Which is, the, which is the sin that Adam and Eve committed. Eve was told, Adam was told, do not eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Um, you will die. But Adam was basically given a Bible in that moment. I'm, I'm, I'm adding some perspective. But Adam was basically given a Bible and said, follow this word that I'm giving you. Take the warnings and take the commands and do them. Don't do what I say don't do. Do what I say to do. And Adam basically looked at this, looked at the world, closed the Bible, says, I'm going to choose my own way. And he did. And this is what we do every single day. We choose our own way unless we're literally walking in accordance with the word and will of God. Unless we're actually seeking his guidance, his principles, his standards. It doesn't matter how something feels. It could be totally off because feelings could lie to us. Our hearts are deceptive. They're, they're wicked. They deceive above all other things. They can make us feel right about the wrongest thing. And then later we come weeping on our knees saying, God, how could I? I can't believe I did that or I can't believe it felt so right. I didn't know. I made a mistake. I'm so sorry. Like there's so many times that we come to that position and that conclusion, like the decision we were totally certain of or felt all right in later was realized that it was wrong. And it can come through the light of a situation, maybe somebody preaching or explaining something and then it just clicks. Or maybe we actually read the word which sheds light on that sin and we realize 
we sinned. We did wrong. Or we we didn't do the right we should have done. Maybe uh, the sin of omission. But all of that, all that comes down to how are we, how are we making sure that we're walking obedient to God? How can I take make, uh, Psalm 25 where it says, make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. How do we, how do we do that? And I think it's important that we understand the Bible is going to be the grounding principle of all that. Truly, not hypocritically, not sarcastically, but sincerely and reverently, submissively reading and doing what God says in his word consistently, regularly, let it be a normal way of life, the Word of God, whether you're listening to it in, uh, in audio Bible, if that's how you read. Some people just really can't read. Like I know some people that are, they, they say they're basically dyslexic. It's just they get a headache when they set their eyes on paper, but they, they can listen to audiobooks and really benefit and even like repeat what they've been listening to. So I have a friend that I send him audiobooks instead of, texts and i tell him where something is but i'll send him a christian audiobook i'll send him a podcast i'll send him a youtube video because he benefits so much from audio i'm not even going to press the issue i'm just going to send him and feed him all that i can so that's important uh but but we need to be taking this regularly in because if we're not doing that and all of us are guilty we, we've all had moments of inconsistency as christians i mean sometimes we'll fall into a slump and we're just stuck and we just don't feel right and something just doesn't click and we realize we haven't been consistent in this part of our walk with God in our listening to and reading and studying the word of God and it hurts us for a time and if we get arrogant we can be hurt for a long time but here's where uh second peter what I wanted to hit second peter says um second peter chapter 1 we're going to go through verses 5 to 11 this is a wonderful section of scripture and it encourages us to grow steadily and fruitfully and to grow into maturity in every way of our faith. Not to just be okay like, hey, you know, I'm more patient than before, but, you know, I still got attitude issues. I'm, I still got this. I, I'm still covetous. I'm, it's like not, not to just say, hey, you know, like I, I, I'm a former addict. Um, I'm a former thief, former addict. Um, uh, I was depressed. I tried to kill myself at least two times officially, unofficially several times. Um, I used to break into houses, break still wallets, and I was like, uh, uh, what do you call it? A consistent liar. I forgot the word. But that's that's who I was. I was evil. I was selfish. I did whatever I wanted. I didn't take anyone's warnings. I didn't take anyone else seriously. Life was about my feelings, so I'd do whatever it took to make them go up. So I didn't I didn't have a care or concern for other people, even though I, I put on a really great show sometimes. I really made it seem like I had sincerity, but I wasn't. I was fully devoted to glorify myself and to enjoy who I was. And when I came to Christ, he did this incredible work to humble and break me, and then he brought me into this this process of sanctification that I didn't understand that's what it was because I was in a I was in a church that was a that was a legalistic in this aspect and they had uh, some some doctrine that they were teaching which was not biblical that until your body touches water in the baptism you have no salvation so even though I had come to a saving faith in Christ I was praying I was regularly walking God was already sanctifying me changing me pulling me out of addiction pulling me out of using bad words pulling me out of pornography pulling me out of all sorts of mysticism and spiritism he was pulling me out of that and I was led by the Spirit of God I still had this thought that I'm still not saved until I get baptized so I had a seven-month period of still thinking that I can't be saved even though my 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 prayer to God was sincere. I had a genuine, un recognized, conscious connection to God. I, I, I had a reverence for Him. I was growing in that. I was growing in understanding all that. And I, I faltered all throughout it. But God was leading me in sanctification. He was cleaning up my act. He was guiding me in these repentances and in, in these confessions and in these endeavors toward Him. 
this was a wonderful process and I was just blown away that I was on this journey with God, but I was, I was being told that not yet, not yet. But God began doing this work in me and he pulled me away from so much. He changed the way I walk and think and do things. He changed so much about me, even the way I talk. There was words that I used to use that I don't use anymore. I'm not saying I don't sometimes come off in slang. I'm saying I used to use curse words. I don't use them anymore. They, they don't come out of my mouth. I remember them, and sometimes in my mind, I, I can think it out of anger, and I know what that is. That's still sin. But, but it's like I don't have any—I am afraid or I have this serious fear, I guess you could say. I, I don't have any desire to live out that sin of speaking it, and I don't even want to think it. But it's this, it's this work that God is doing, and he pulled me away from so much. And he does that. He, he pulls people out of sin and makes them uh, holy. He sets them apart for his walk. We are holy once we are sanctified unto Christ. Once we have the Holy Spirit, we are declared holy. We're not declared perfect. We're declared holy. We are holy unto Christ. We are living our lives now for his glory. That is the purpose of our lives. Once you become a Christian, you're living for Christ uh, because he rescued you out of your sin. So you're not living like, oh, man, but I still want to live for me, but I guess I got to live for Jesus. No, this isn't, this isn't a, I don't really want to be a Christian Christianity. We're not talking about someone hurt, uh, you, you heard a preacher say, you know, come here or you're going to go to hell. And then you say, okay, man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to hell. And then you go and you pray real quick. And now they say, okay, hey, you know, do everything that the Bible says and you don't want to do it. And you're trying to like struggle through this mechanical Christianity that isn't sincere and isn't real. And you're actually, you're not at peace with any of it. But then you get praised and you're like, oh, I kind of get excited. Like, oh man, cool. I guess I am doing all right. But you don't really want it because that's not real Christianity. That's, that's, uh, that's manipulation. Sometimes people will manipulate you, maybe not intentionally, but maybe through the way they explain the gospel. They'll make you seem like you have to do these three, four things and then you'll be saved and don't mess up. Because if you do, you're going to hell. Like, that's that's manipulation. That's not even the gospel. Because the gospel says once you're saved, you're saved forever. And you're saved in such a way that you're going to do good works. Because that is just what God is going to do in you. He's going to grant you and give you the Holy Spirit. You're going to have God in you. And and he's going to lead and work in your heart. And just work manifest this incredible fruitfulness and obedience. And this transformation is going to take place. And people are going to see a grand difference between who you were before Christ and who you are and are becoming in Christ, Christ-like. But, but there are some people that are taught that if I do these three things and I keep doing them, I'm saved and I'll keep myself saved. The Bible says you're saved forever because Christ is the one that keeps you and no one can take you out of his hands. But it also says that if you don't walk in this way, then you are showing yourself to not actually be saved. So it isn't so much that you're keeping yourself saved, but it's that you're living out what you are. A Christian should continue to mature into who they are. They are like Christ. They are Christ-led. They are Holy Spirit-filled Christians. They are giving and living unto the glory of God. They should continue to mature in that. And they'll stumble. They'll mess up. They'll get stuck in some stuff sometimes. But they will continue and persevere because God is able to do that. He's able to make you persevere. He's able to keep you and to lead you all the way. Jesus is the author and the perfecter, and he will not lose any that come to him, and he will bring them all the way unto glorification. This is his promise, and we need to be mindful that we don't try to put on our shoulders a weight that he never really put on our shoulders, as if we are in charge of saving ourselves. But we are responsible for walking in obedience so that we would be fruitful. So this is where... This is where uh, Second Peter chapter 1, um, what it's aiming in at. So here we are. Uh, verses 5 to 11. I, I love this section. And it's teaching, uh, it's teaching about persevering and growing unto fruitfulness for the purpose of, of glorifying God correctly and for having peace and assurance in our salvation. Verse 5 starts by saying, now, for this very reason also, and just before this, it was talking about the wonderful grace of God saving our souls. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. 
and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. This is, this is an amazing section of scripture that, that is imploring that we walk and grow into the maturity that Christ is calling us into and enabling us to grow into. Because the, 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 the different aspects, the, the different graces of our faith, they make us fruitful. Because if we're not growing in these areas, and these are, these are intentional, these are not just a list of random important things. These are principles that, that all build one on the other. Uh, moral excellence builds, and the next thing to build on that is knowledge, and the next thing on that is self-control, and the next thing on that is perseverance. It's like it all builds up to, to have your faith, which is the beginning of your salvation. And then to add to that moral excellence, because now you're growing, learning how to, how to live as a Christian with Christian principles and morality, with God's morality rather than that of the world. You're, you're building on your faith and you're learning to behave as a Christian in a world that doesn't want Christ. It wants good stuff, but it doesn't want Christ. And then you learn knowledge. Uh, you, you're applying and you're adding to that knowledge. You're, you're adding to it the, all the things that you can and should know about God. Studying to show yourself approved, understanding the different things that you should about the faith, about your walk, about this world, like growing in your knowledge of who Christ is, growing your knowledge of this faith, because this is now your life. And as you're learning in this knowledge, since knowledge has the ability to puff up, um, there is the need to add self-control. So now that you have this knowledge, you learn to practice self-control. You know how to practice moderation. You know how to practice uh, discipline in the freedoms that you might have in your Christian liberty, in maybe the things that you practice in your life and the things that you have, the, the way you spend, the way you, you buy things, the way you invest your time and your energies and your money and your resources, the way you minister, the way you do all these things. Like There's, there's a need to self-control that. There's a need to be careful, the, uh, uh, to be aware and well-knowledged and disciplined in the way that you carry yourself now that you've learned to have moral excellence that you're learning and adding knowledge to that you're learning uh, and there's a need for self-control and as you add to that the next thing to grow in perfecting is perseverance now that you have this life you're living in christ and you're focusing your energies in this way there's a need to keep going and not giving up don't 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 try hard for a week and then give up for a week and try hard for a week and then give up. Like there's this need to persevere in your energies and your efforts towards living out the gospel. And as you grow in your perseverance, then there's godliness. Actually being someone that takes all of this that you have, this character that's being built up in knowledge and patience and perseverance, and actually living in a godly way. Now, now there should be this need to reach out to your, to your enemies and reach out to your neighbors and be a gospel evangelizing individual, not somebody that fades into the crowd and just hides his faith and keeps it private, but somebody that actually lives it out because you should let your neighbor know of this great and free salvation. And we never know how imminent it is for every individual or for the whole world. We don't know when Christ is coming back. But he is. He's coming back. And anyone that's not ready, anyone that hasn't had their sins forgiven through Christ's atoning and justifying sacrifice on the cross, a propitiation that we can't achieve on our own, a, a, a satisfaction of the righteous wrath of God that we can't earn through good efforts or some sort of spiritual backflip, that's been done by Christ on the cross. Anyone that doesn't put their trust in Jesus as their hope of glory, they're going to face God with these dead good works that aren't really good and God's going to send them to hell because those good works are not good enough because they're stained and full of sin. All of our good works are like dirty rags, Isaiah 64 
verse 6. So um, once you add godliness and you realize what your purpose in this community, in this world, in this environment is, um, then there's brotherly kindness, learning how to grow among other believers together, learning how to grow among your brethren, depending on one another, edifying each other, building up the most holy and wonderful faith, like doing this together because you have a group of people to do this with, the church. You have the, the local church and you have your companions and whoever it is that you commune with or pray with or speak with. And then adding to that love, general love, love in general, uh, love unto the world, love unto the people, love to your neighbor, love to your friend, love to the person that you deal with or maybe can deal with uh, people outside that you can minister to, your resources, your time, uh, maybe even taking care of those that have needs that you can supply, just a, a general sacrificial living. All of this kind of builds. It builds from the beginning. And growing in these qualities, being able to grow in these, that's what makes somebody assured of their salvation because they see Christ working in their heart. They see Christ leading them so they can actually grow in this way. But when you don't grow in these qualities, it's like you're blind, like you forgot that you you were saved. And to others who don't see you growing in this way, you might not look saved. Even if you might actually be saved, you might just be a complacent, lazy Christian that needs to get off his lazy butt and walk out their confession. But, but to the world, you're not going to look like something if you're not living it out. Uh, where was it? Alexander Nisbet, who wrote... Um, a commentary on Second Peter, and it's in the Geneva, uh, Geneva Commentary series. He says, Even they who discern in themselves a saving work of grace and know the privileges spoken of before to, to be theirs are not now to sit down idle and satisfied, but to be the more active and diligent in the exercise of grace and holy duties. And what he's, what he's saying is, there's a reason, like this is the reason that you're applying all diligence and to grow in these Christian graces. Because even if you have the certainty of salvation, you can't just sit there on your hands and say, I'm saved, I'm good. That's just, that's unbiblical. That's like, I don't know, that's like a married couple that doesn't live together. Why y'all, like what, what's, what's wrong with you? Why on earth aren't you living in the same house? That's like getting married and then moving back, like just going back to your own homes. As if, you know, if you didn't live, if you didn't cohabitate before your wedding, which destroys marriages, and it's not biblical, uh, it's not right to live together before you're married. Um, it's like you really had your own home, she had her own apartment, you get married, and then you go back to your own apartments, and you see each other on, you know, days off or whatnot. That's, that's a strange marriage. That doesn't make sense. In the same way, so is somebody that doesn't walk in these growing, necessary graces of the Christian life. Just to sit there and say, I'm saved, I'm good. It's like that mentality is so unchristian, so unbiblical, it's so wrong that it's like a married couple that lives in two separate apartments. And they're saying, we're not fighting. We're together. We have a great relationship. Like, but you guys live in two different apartments. What's wrong with you? So when we, when we view this, there's a, there's a need, there's a compelling need to do this because it will make you, it will grow you and mature you in fruitfulness, but it will also keep you from being uh, deceived because there's people that maybe start out in church. They don't grow in these graces and they keep patting themselves on the back saying, I'm saved. I got baptized. I remember it's like, well, your baptism doesn't look like it did nothing because it doesn't look like you were sincere when you confess Christ and you were baptized in a, in apparent obedience to the gospel because you haven't walked in Christ since you got wet that one day. It looked like you were just a wet sinner. You got dried off over time. But it, it doesn't seem that that was an obedience out of true faith in Christ. It looks like that was just trying to conform to some sort of principle or trying to gain something through water baptism. But if your water baptism doesn't come after you are believing Christ, it, it, it's a sign pointing to something that isn't really yours. That's like wearing a wedding ring, but you ain't got the girl. Like, why are you doing that? What are you claiming? Where's the girl? Where's the lady? Where's your wife? So, what is it? Um, David Armhelm. David Arhelm, He wrote the. Uh, he wrote one section of the uh, preaching the word uh, Bible commentary series. It's actually a great series, and he says, "True faith sweats. 
it grows. And I'd say, yes, indeed. True faith is a working faith. Uh, to think that, you know, I don't have to do anything. It's like you, you would. If you're saved, you would. You would walk this thing out. You would do exactly what Philippians chapter 2 uh, says. You know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out in such a way that you are actually walking in obedience and you are careful because life is not a joke and you will give an account for how you lived and the way you carried yourself. You're going to give an account to God. You're actually settling accounts with Him on your work after He employed you and brought you into the saved state. You're actually literally going to see the boss. You're going to see your master, your savior, and your king on your final day. And the way to be careful is to learn through scripture the expectations that God has for you. Not just to do what Psalm 25 says and do it emptily like, God, teach me your ways. And then keep your Bible closed saying, you know, he'll just give me the epiphany. He doesn't say that through the Bible. The Bible never says that God's going to just give you epiphanies. He does at times. He does give people epiphanies and they're incredible. It's like being a genius for two seconds and then going back to being stupid. It's like, oh, wow, God just gave me a thought. A lot of people kind of praise themselves for saying, oh, wow, I had this genius idea. No, no. If you get a genius idea, but you were, you were stupid before it and you're stupid after it, it wasn't yours. That was a gift. Or if it's tempting, it's probably, a, a, it's probably an, an evil. It's probably a temptation, something from the devil. Or, or it's maybe something that you made up for your own reasons. But, but if you get a sudden burst of genius, um, I'd say give credit to God and do that thing. If it's biblical, you know, if it lines up with the Bible. And, and it's important for us to, to grow in this because this is, this is what our faith is. Our faith is literally walking out in obedience to who God is and what he says. And it's not expecting something false out of life. Um, one thing I just want to note in, uh, what is it, in, in verses, verse 9, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 9 it says whoever for he who lacks these qualities is sh is blind or short-sighted having forgotten his purification from his former sins what's this what this is pointing to it could point to one of two things one um you're a hypocrite and now you're showing your true colors you're the seed that fell among thorns or among the rocks. You weren't good soil. You aren't a Christian. You're someone that calls yourself a Christian. That's called a nominal Christian. You go to church, you do the stuff, but it's not in your heart. So now you're just trying really hard to do something that isn't really in your heart. You don't actually have a new heart from God. You haven't been saved, but you're really trying. And you could be saved in the midst of that, but at the moment you're not. So you're just performing. And it might be sincere, but it's not saving. It's not performance out of your salvation. It's performing to try to get saved. That's, that's a wrong view on what salvation is. But the second uh, option is you're, you're someone that looks like you've completely forgotten everything that your life is. You know, It's like, it's like being married, right? I, I give these examples because I think they make sense. It's like you, you, you bring your family to go bowling. And then for some reason, you go, to the, you go to the bar, you get a soda, you drink the soda, and you completely forget that you have a family and kids. And you have the car keys in your pocket. And you just, you're like, oh, it's late, I want to go home. And you get in the car and you leave your abandoned family and kids at the bowling alley. And you go home, you go to sleep. It's as if you forgot what you really are. You're a father and you're a husband. You have children and a wife, and they're right there. It's like you completely forgot, and it's, it's the most insane thing to be that way, to, to act in a way as if you've totally forgot that you've been wiped clean by the blood of Jesus, not the hanky of Jesus, the blood that came out of his body, out of his veins. You, you were actually sanctified, and it's like you got so caught up in something stupid or something sinful or something unbelievably meaningless. Like, like David, he, he knows who God is and he got so lazy or whatever it is, complacent that he just didn't even go out to war. I don't know what happened with him. And then suddenly he decided, Hey, I'm going to take a walk. My guys are fighting out there, whatever. Good for them. And then he sees Bathsheba and then all that horrible sin takes place in his life. That's the consequence of not doing your duty. Like you, you, you completely miss the mark. You sin greatly against God. And it's like, 
a Christian that forgets the wonderful, incredible, free gift of salvation and just gets caught in something that's just useless, takes their time, takes all of their life and just sets it on a strange path that doesn't give any fruit or glory to God. And you might as well come up to them saying, are you blind? Like, did you forget? You were washed. You were cleaned. I mean, that's that's what we see in scripture. We see this pleading to grow in your faithfulness because you're going to have hypocrites that give a bad example, but they're going to get really far in it. And real Christians are going to take those hypocritical fake Christian examples and say, oh, I guess I could do that. And they're going to start doing stupid things or doing less for God. And it's like, that's why there's always this pleading saying, don't go down that way. Don't hang out with someone that pretends to be a Christian, but isn't. Don't, don't. There's always this warning because there's always going to be a mixture of fake and real Christians in a church. And you're not always going to be able to point them out perfectly. So when, uh, for verse nine, Alexander Nisbet, who wrote the Geneva commentary series on, on second Peter, he says, when the esteem of forgiveness does not stir up to thankfulness and holiness, God esteems it forgotten. So when, when, it, when, when the apparency of forgiveness or when, it, when what you seem to have is forgiveness, but that forgiveness in Christ doesn't really stir up your heart to be grateful and be obedient and grow in holiness, you might as well just say, you know, you might think you're saved, but God considers you as if you've forgotten it, like as if you forgot it and you're not walking in that. So that's that's why that section is so, it's such a good warning. People could take it out of context saying, hey man, if you stop, you're going to lose your salvation. No, you don't lose a salvation that you couldn't earn. You don't lose something you can't even touch with your hands because it's it's in you it's of you it's it's you it's it's from god it's it's for you and it's it's this wonderful plan that god has had before the foundation of the world to bring you from death to life it's a supernatural thing it comes through faith in christ but there's a lot of hypocrites out there and there's a lot of people that lie to themselves and they don't really walk out their faith and they end up in this strange place where they keep calling themselves christians but they act like the world and then when someone says, hey, man, you should consider and examine yourself, you don't look like you're walking the faith, they'll do the don't judge me card. It's like, no, no. Within the church, you're allowed to judge, judge righteously. You're allowed to bring up sin. You're allowed to warn people. You're allowed to come up and say, what's up, man? Why are you sinning? You're allowed to, to check one another. Iron sharpens iron. You're supposed to. The church is a place that you're supposed to honor God and honor his word. If someone's doing stupid things or sinning, we're supposed to work through that. We're not supposed to always blow up their spot. Pull them aside. Talk to them. If they ain't got no sense about it, maybe bring a witness and then go through that whole church discipline thing. Because you can't let somebody just keep sinning. You just can't let somebody actively sin, like unrepentantly sin. That, that, that isn't permitted in the church of God. Discipline must be a necessary thing. But you can't judge people outside. What I mean by that is I can't open the door to the church and yell to the guy across the street saying, why aren't you in church today? They'll be like, I'm not a Christian. It's like, but you're supposed to be in church like that. You can't judge them outside. Let God judge them. That's what Paul said. You know, leave them out there. God will judge them. But judge within the church. So there's this, there's this need to stir each other up. There's this need to be amped up to live and grow in our faithfulness to God. And, and all of this is so, it's so evident in the Psalms. David is always begging for God to lead him and teach him and show him how to walk it out correctly. And then we have the New Testament epistles, which teach us about what it means to walk it out correctly. And there's so many pleadings within all the sections of scripture that, that teach us not to take God like a joke, not to think he's going to do it all for us just because we prayed a really fancy or emotion-filled prayer. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how emotional your prayer was. If what comes from it is not obedience and faithfulness to God, then check your heart and check the scriptures because that, that is not something to sit back and say, well, I guess if I'm still sinning, then God's just letting me sin and he's cool with it. No, God is never cool with sin. He is forgiving and merciful, but he doesn't have to forgive everything as if you're not going to have any consequences. If you're a Christian, your sins are settled on the cross with Christ eternally. But consequentially, in time, you can definitely pay a price. And you can realize through sin that you have dishonored 
the great Savior, Almighty God, and you have blasphemed him and you have greatly sinned against him. And that should bring shame and repentance and faith. But if you realize that, hey, I'm not walking it out with God, I'm not doing right, pray, but then study the word of God. Like that is always the connecting principle. Pray for God to teach you and lead you and correct you. And then, and then do that learning work of, okay, God, speak to me. Here you go. This is God speaking to you. He will speak to you through scripture. He will speak to you through a preacher who is speaking about scripture and clarifying it faithfully. He might speak to you through a Christian song, which is coming from a heart that is lined up with scripture. He'll speak to you through someone that doesn't even know Jesus. They'll just say something and you'll be like, oh, I heard it. Like, yes, yes, God uses everyone in anything. But he's never telling us, oh, now go live off that person's life. That person, if they're not a Christian, don't go living off their life. Live off the word of God. Let the Word of God be the dictating rule of faith and life, all things pertaining to it. Let this be what we hold on to. Because if this is how we live, then we will be fruitful and faithful Christians. And it, it will seem like the way of heaven will be open so wide, just like a Second Peter chapter, uh, chapter 1 says in verse 11. It says, For in this way the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. That doesn't mean that you're more safe now than you were before. But it means it, it's like the way of, uh, of walking this thing out till the final day will seem so fruitful. It'll seem so, so full, so, so edifying. It'll be so useful to the purposes that God has in your life, which is to bring glory to him and to spread and scatter the seed, to minister and disciple people, whatever that might be in whatever way he's guiding your life. But all this comes from taking God seriously at his word and knowing that there is a responsibility for us to grow in our faith and faithfulness. And this is enabled and empowered by the Spirit of God. This is governed by Jesus Christ and is appointed by God the Father. This is a wonderful work of God Almighty. And we should be involved and ready and quickened to that. We should be inspired to do that. And if we haven't been inspired, get to that place where you are reading and studying God's word so that his word would inspire you. Uh, or get to that place of initial repentance if you might not actually be a Christian yet. So I would, I would encourage, I really hope that this, this connected something. I really hope that this, this gave some, some clarity. And uh, I hope that this brought whoever to understand a little bit more about what Second Peter means and how we can use the Psalms and even the Proverbs to help us grow a desire and a hunger for God and his word. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for joining on the Milk and Meat podcast. I'm Andrew Kremkovich, and uh, catch us next time. God bless. Because I be worried about your soul. Why you still be doubting you got a soul? Like you need to see to believe these things. But you believe things that you've never seen. The feelings and hopes and dreams. The future emotions and gravity. And sadly.